Welcome to Become an Idol. I'm Dr. Robin Sargent, owner of Idol Courses. This is the place where newbies come to learn and veterans share their knowledge. I have here with me today, Mo Ash, and you probably know him in our community because he owns The Catalyst. Um, he's also one of our idle mentors in the Idle Courses Academy, and he just has years of experience in instructional design and online learning and just a wealth of knowledge and experience to share. And so, Mo, will you do a better job of introducing yourself? Okay. Well, I have been working in the field of L&D for about 15 years, Robin. <laughs> so I've, I've, I've kind, of, kind of been through a lot of it with this as we had before the, the podcast, we talked about that. And I started off as a trainer, classroom trainer, and then I went into L&D consultancy, but I, I started to see my passion for instructional design when I worked for a company that does business board games. We do homegrown business, homegrown, uh, business board game simulations. And my role was the R&D manager. So it got me into design. And you know what? I like instructional design more and uh, gamification of learning. So that's how the whole story started. So when did you actually start The Catalyst? I started The Catalyst back in 2018. We started with two basic programs, two basic public programs. One was in instructional design. The other one was in train the trainer. And we started to provide for business, for service providers, training providers, and companies custom-made programs that we can create. Later on, years after, our community became, uh, of graduates, now is reaching almost 70. And most of them work freelance in learning design and as trainers. And my team is around like five people. And uh, we do custom-made board games, escape rooms, learning games, and also e-learning and instructional design shenanigans. <laughs> Any learning design needed, basically. Well, I'm glad you mentioned all that because it actually kind of brings us to what we wanted to focus our topic of conversation around, which is gamification, learning games, yep. and those types of things. And so how do you want to focus this as far as like, what do you want to talk about as far as like learning games? And should we be explicit about what we mean when we're talking about the different types of games that are available for learning designers? I, I believe that there are two types of instructional designers that are in this domain or like in this niche. I, I don't know what to call it, a segment, a domain, a principle, a discipline, which is gamification. Some people consider everything gamification, and there are others who are, let's call them purists, that put an, a differentiation between what is gamification and what is not. I will consider myself more of a purist because gamification is something and everything else is just everything else. And when I'm saying everything else, I mean game for learning, game, game-based pedagogy, game-based learning, simulations, serious games, and yeah, all of this are, are not gamification. Each and every one of those is something completely and entirely different. I'm actually with you, right? Okay. I mean, yeah, I'm a, I guess I, I guess I'm a purist. No, I didn't know I was a purist, but <laughs> yeah, gamification, I'm with you, it's, right? It's adding game elements to already existing effective instruction and learning strategies. That is that kind of what you're saying too, or? True, true, true. To me, I, I, I look at gamification as, as a system. So a game is basically a system in which players engage in an artificial conflict defined by rules that result in a quantifiable outcome. This is basically what a game is. Games starting from like board games, uh, indie games that you play on your phone, video games. It's just a system where there are players... And there's a, a conflict that they have to go through, a challenge of some sort or a series of challenges. And there are specific rules defined with your XP, with your experience points, with your health, with your way of movement, with the abilities that you have. And it results in a quantifiable outcome, which could be a gift, a treasure, the princess, a winning condition of some sort. This is what a game is. 
So when we're looking at this as a principle or a discipline, let's just call it a discipline. Gamification is just an instructional design approach. And even when people look into the word gamification and they put it in Arabic, we don't translate it as the word gamification. Actually, we translate it as motivational game strategies. This is the actual translation in Arabic. I'm going to say it in Arabic. So it's actually motivational game strategies. We use strategies of game to motivate people to reach towards the end goal. Come what may the end goal could be in marketing, people engagement, learning, uh, anything. Gamification is not something that is exclusive to, to learning or education. It can be used for anything because it's a system and a discipline that can be applied if you can apply properly. Thank you so much for defining that. Okay, now I know what we're working with. All right, so now how, now since we were talking about it being one of the approaches, how do you kind of, how do you decide that this is an approach that you're gonna use? Because it seems like people would say like, well, everybody needs to be motivated to reach the learning outcome. So should we put games on everything? And I imagine you'd probably say, Yes or no? No, because I, I wouldn't. I would say no. Because sometimes, I, I I was putting up a post today on Facebook, and people would be like, "Yeah, I want to use gamification to, as 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 a way of applying experiential learning, so people can go through levels and solve a puzzle or do an activity, and this way they will be able to." be more practical to reach the learning objectives. I'm like, this is any learning program. Mm. What you're saying is basically pure instructional design. If I did action mapping, I could do that without gamification. Gamification at, at some point can actually be a cognitive load. It could be a burden to the learning experience. Mm-hmm. So when do we use it? According, and I'm not going to be coding anyone. This is out of like pure practical experience. I always look into gamification when the process is long and redundant. When the program is pretty big and it needs a lot of reinforcement. When I need to include an intense level of social learning. When I need to keep people motivated along a big streak of knowledge that they have to go through one step at a time. If I want to apply a valuable failure uh, experience where they fail in something, they learn about it, and then they accumulate their failure in getting into a different level and they continue on. So we use mechanics, and I'm going to, let's explain mechanics later on what it is. We use mechanics that are called progression system mechanics, where we put a structure where people can have an actual meaningful transition from one point of the instruction to the other, which is basically what we hint to in constructivism as chunking. So people can assimilate and accommodate the knowledge one step at a time in a seamless fashion. But if you're having a program, an ILT in that sense, or a VILT, that is only for like a week long or like two days, why put gamification? Just see a different approach. Maybe if you're doing an e-learning, you could be doing e-learning with a branching scenario and it can can be amazing. You can be doing an e-learning with knowledge checks that you start with and then you let people get engaged with interactive media and it can still reach the point needed. It doesn't have to be gamification in every point, in in every aspect. And you don't also do gamification by adding points, badges, and leaderboards. The, the, The famous PBL. (laughs) <laughs> the evil axis. The evil axis. And also in e-learning, oh, I use gamification. I added Jeopardy. No, no. <laughs> Jeopardy. That's not gamification. <laughs> I added a timer. I'm using gamification. I made time constraints. No, that's not, that's not loss aversion. No. So you really need to build a system where people have... At first, an actual scaffolding. They need to learn the rules of the game. They need to learn the rules of the system. And then they go step by step where they are intrigued by how they interact with the system. And also, 
gamification needs to have an epic meaning. It needs to have a calling, a purpose at the end, not just to finish the course, but to get an attainable reward. And as we talked earlier before the, po- the podcast about the self-determination theory, the self-determination theory about Mark LeBlanc, he said that there has to be a means of relatedness, relatedness to the environment, relatedness to, to, to the learning's core function, to the purpose of how that learning would, would be reflected on me. I need to see that I'm gaining more mastery. I am actually get, getting better one step at a time when I'm going through the whole thing, not getting in a knowledge check, not get, passing a quiz on an e-learning. I am actually gaining more practice. I am developing as I go forward. This is how we apply motivational strategies. At the core essence of it, gamification is pure behavioral economics. It's how you truly make people get better one step at a time to reach the the end goal. This is so interesting to me because when I did my research on gamified learning theory, it did, it talked a lot about that game mechanics are just um, like a moderating influence on behaviors. Mm -hmm. They don't actually Mm -hmm. directly affect any of the learning outcomes. They only affect the behaviors that mm-hmm. that influence the outcomes. Do you do you see that as well for game mechanics? Well, I I would go for the MBA. And I'm sorry I said something wrong. The person that the, the people for self-determination theory is Ryan and DC. I got it mixed up. Ryan and DC. But when I'm talking about Marc Leblanc and Robert Zubek, I am talking about the MDA, which is it's a paper on game research and game design. It's a formal approach to game research and game design. And when we're talking about mechanics, mechanics are basically, Robin, a set of rules that dictate the outcome of interactions within a game. Elements that move the actions forward. So it's not only the rules of the game, it's what the rules imply. Like there's a mechanic that is called an investment mechanic. So an investment mechanic is how you put a certain action or a specific reward system that the learner would be able to invest in continuously to keep coming back to the game or to keep actually being motivated to play the game. It could be a rule. It could be a constraint. But the motivation of it is to keep you hooked and even better, to keep you getting informed and learning as you go on and keep being in the game itself. So mechanics are the engine per se. It's the engine that moves the game forward. You have also a mechanic called fixed rewards, and there's a mechanic called random rewards. Fixed rewards are rewards that people get by the end of each and every level, hurdle, challenge, or something, and they're expecting. And then there's something called a random reward, a reward that they didn't even expect. So it intrigues their curiosity to keep on playing because... You know what? Maybe there's a discount. Maybe there's a random reward. We do that every day. We walk in the mall and you know what? Maybe there's a discount. So it keeps us going forward. And then there are rules that would deprive you from certain things. This is called a loss aversion mechanic. A loss aversion mechanic is a mechanic that keeps you at bay and it gives you a sense of failure, but it's just a minute sense of failure that can teach you and then you can continue on playing with that cautious understanding in mind. So mechanics influence dynamics. Dynamics are a totally different game. Mechanics are directly related to provoking the motivators of the players. Dynamics includes the constraints and the emotions and the narratives and the progression and the relationships, the direct behavioral responses of mechanics. So when you put a mechanic, you want me to behave in a certain way, to take a certain decision to go through a certain action. Learning happens through the dynamics. Mechanics is what the designers put. So I behave in a certain way because the designer created a medium, created an experience that made me get influenced to do that specific behavior. This is the behavior where they take decisions to do better project management because the loss of virgin and the game did that. This is the mechanic that made me be very cautious when I'm taking a decision in dealing with change 
because the mechanics maybe understand this. So my focus as a designer is to create the best kind of mechanics, constraints and liabilities and, and things that can, can, can aid the learner to think or take a specific decision. So when that decision is taken, a dynamic of behaviors come into place. And all of this is wrapped collectively within aesthetics, which is aesthetics of challenge, drama, fantasia, uh, the, the, the colors, the avatars, the look and feel that makes me feel more immersively in the absolute experience of the gamified system. Okay, so now you've got to share some of your examples. Like I know, for example, and I, and we've talked about this that you said that gamification is really useful when you're trying to get somebody to go through a long process and they've got to complete yeah. every step along the way. And so you actually have created at least a gamified training for instructional designers, and then I'm sure you've done other mm-hmm. things as well. So give us some of these examples of of ways that you've used it. Okay, so for your eyes only, I'm going to show you something because this is a podcast, but for your eyes only, I'm going to show you this. This is a board game that we created before for an event that contained 80 people. It lasted for two days straight, 16 hours, and we have to engage the people in an actual simulation on how employment comes into place. Okay, how what to do that? The, 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 the institute is called EFE, which is Egypt for employment. So two days is not a big, it's not a big duration, but 80 people is a big duration. And I need everyone to learn the whole thing. So it can be the long time and it can be a lot of people that you need to work them together. So we put them on this board game and the board game, we divided people into eight teams on the four corners of the of the square board game that is on the screen that people here cannot really see, but I'm trying to explain. And if you can't see, those are actually tiles that people need to have at the beginning of the game. And then when they're come, when it comes to their turn, they need to surrender a tile and get another tile. What happens is that we try to simulate the different constraints that happen in employment. So when you put a tile, you need to be answering a question that is related to employment and sacrifice something that is part of your own competency as a caliber that wants to work. And the simulation is how you'll be able to get out of this maze using the cards that you have or the tiles that you have with your team members collectively in a big team and how you will work together to keep yourself within the board game. These tiles, let me show you how it works. These tiles, each and every team has a number on it that represents who they are. Their work is to kick the other teams out of the board game, not to get into like winning the whole game, but actually trying to kick other people out. And this is a simulation of how people are getting into a a fierce competition into the employment sector. And it depends on how you can sacrifice what you know and answer and do reskilling with other things and upskill on what you can do better in the field itself. This game stayed for like two hours straight, and it was one part of a series of different games that we did for two days. But it did resonate big time with the people because they had to think about different strategies while looking at their collective skills and how to pass the, pass the, the questions, get people out, and know how to work together. I just love that you showed it to me because what you can actually see is that you have a giant board game on the floor. There are so many people standing around it and every single person in all these pictures that you're showing Nemo are just, they're in it. They're all looking at their cards. They're all looking at the board and they are just, they are, they are committed and motivated to win this game. And I'm crouched on the floor, just like telling them what to do. And by the way, there's an extra trick that there are certain secret cards that are in the middle of the board that are flipped the other way. So they would need to flip it and see if that would be in their advantage or not. So I even left some random rewards and lost a virgin in the middle of the board game to simulate the 
possible hurdles or firefighting that they might see in the field of employment. And they're all in the field of HR, by the way, all of those people. Oh, that's that's so interesting. And so besides, of course, you know, kicking people out, did, was there a reward for the winners? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they got like, uh, what was it? They got giveaways. Give, I can't remember the giveaways. That was like before COVID, obviously, with that number of people. So <laughs> I can't remember. There was another program. I can show it to you. And that's like a program that is so close to my heart. That program is called the Le Mans. So Le Mans is a program on CBI, competency-based interviews. And my client, who's the African Union, and also we did this to the African Court of Justice, we did it to the CDC, we did it to UNDP, we did it to Human Rights. It was a program that doesn't only tell you about doing CBI, but understanding people's means of diversity and inclusion, respecting diversity, understanding cognitive biases that fall into this, also conflict management, and how to use psychometrics and how to conduct an actual proper CBI. So this was a program where I do it in a blended fashion online. I do it in five days, three days synchronous, two days asynchronous self-based on the LMS. But when I do it in face-to-face, I do it for three days straight. So this is how the board looks like. It's a two by three meters board in in a big room. And they are represented by cars that are going through the the big race of Le Mans. Le Mans is a French town that has an annual race that goes on for 72 hours, an endurance race, where you change the racers in it. So they are representing four different cars, Bentley, Porsche, um, Bentley, Porsche, Ferrari, and Aston Martin. And they are going through the board with different pivots and they're trying to compete on who would end the race. The trick here, and that's something that they don't know, that they can, they all will be ending the race, which represents the process of recruitment. But how would they end it effectively? This depends on the points that they gain with each and every game within the board game that represents different facets of cognitive biases and and how to do interviews and how to place behavior indicators with the right competencies in in a specific game called workshop within the board game itself. And also they have racers who are four nominees and they need to choose what kind of interview they would do to them. Would they go for an interview that only tests like three competencies and they would do CBI for them or four or five or six? The higher you go, the higher the risk and the more points, but also each and every question that you choose wrong from the question bank would deduct you by 15 points. And then they go into an interview and after the interview, they tell me would they hire someone or not? And upon which if they hire the right person, they get more points. So that was a complete representation to how the process would end. You would all end the race and you would all recruit, but on what cost? And did you do it right or not? Did you respect the the diversity? Did you fall into cognitive biases of liking someone way too much or liking the character that you have in your card? And by the way, I become the character. I simulate the character and I do an official interview in front of them. If I'm a guy or a girl, I act as a girl, I act as whomever the guy is. If it's an obnoxious guy, I be the obnoxious guy. If I'm the good guy, I'm the good guy. And sometimes they say the obnoxious guy was good and I tell them why. And I reflect on how they chose based on biases. So that was a game that I hold dearly. These are the cards and that's the board. It's it's a remarkable game because we worked so much on it and it took us so much to to finish it. And this was done in Ethiopia. We did this to uh, the HR members there. And we've been working with this game for like two years straight now. We've... The, delivered this to over 200 staff members for, for so far. And you can see on the on the table, the, here are the cards of the, the players. There's a mock job description. These are the cards that help them build a strategy on how to move on the board, the one that the two ladies are holding. So yeah, that's that's another game. Oh my gosh, that's so neat. I just love that even thinking about how your games are not, they're not e-learning necessarily and if you if they could see on the podcast right they'd see that um even the racing game or Le Mans is is a big 
race board on the ground. Again, it like takes up the whole room and people are having to, to stand around it. And so I bet everybody's like, wow, these are brilliant. I can never design a game like this, but I bet well, you could probably share with us some of the things that you use. So like, if you know that the conditions are right, you know, this is a long process. Um, it takes many steps. We need people to be engaged and motivated all the, all the way through. What are kind of those first steps after that, that you take to design? Well, we're going to call, I guess you, do you look for your engine first, your mechanics or what does this look like? Start with action mapping and the learning objectives. That's what I would always say. Mm-hmm. Some uh, There are many people that look at, you know what, I want to build a game. Let me look at the aesthetics first. Oh, so I'm going to do this Fantasia. I'm going to do this like Le Mans. By the way, Le Mans started. I'm, I'm not going to forget this. We were just talking about this yesterday out of pure coincidence that I was, we were here in my, in my place and my wife was not here. She was in Saudi Arabia. So I was, I had the whole place for my own and I had my designers and we were watching anime, Robin. We were watching anime. Le Mans was supposed to be a fighting game based on an anime that we watched. Later on, it became a racing game. So it's not that you need to start with a specific idea. Start with the learning objectives. We were like, okay, learning objectives. We want people to do this. We want people to do that. We want people to apply cognitive biases. Will they ever be able to master cognitive biases? No but we need to put them in a situation where they be subjected to it, give them a reflection and also let them understand what it is. Will people be able to conduct CBI? Yes. How? Let's do that. We need to let them not be CBI professionals, but we need to let them apply, practice CBI techniques. So the better you are in crafting your learning objectives, the better you are in creating the mechanics that you were just talking about. Because mechanics, at the end of the day, are an emulation, are representation of the actions that we want people to do. So I want them to apply CBI, but I don't want them to feel that the, it, it, it's, it's pressured or that is something that would be mundane or difficult on them. Okay, then let's, instead of letting them do a CBI with people with people, imaginary people, or like hypothetical people, let's narrow it down and create characters. So this is when characters come into play. Should we make them into characters? No, we don't want them to be represented by something that would take them away from the game. Let's only make them cars that move on the board. How? Why are we using a board? Because board games give us an extension of time. We can extend the board game with... how big it is or the number of steps that we put. That's why I love board games because it's so versatile or the rules of how to move on the board game. So sometimes board game to me is just a structure for how to keep the experience moving forward. I either deduct or expand depending on how I want to do that. And when people want to do a game, they need to do proper action planning. What do I want them to do? Okay. I, I understood the learning objectives. What do I want them to act upon? If you can make that into something that people can experience within a game, go for it. If it would be too hard to explain it, if it would be a load to get into the rules and get like accommodated into the game system, don't. And also, If a game is taking too much cognitive load, then don't do it because that would overload what the people should do to learn the game. So they're taking so much time to learn the game instead of trying to learn the learning that you're trying to include in the game. Now, if it's something that is intangible, like I, I, it's very hard to teach empathy in a game. You might let people practice a specific way of reaching empathy or like how they can work together. But you can't really base a game out of pure absolute behavior. There has to be something tangible. There has to be something tangible that they need to do. True, there are games about like 
role plays and communication skills, but it's not communication per se. It's actually applying a model or a way or a method to do this. So you're not teaching them communication. You're making them apply or practice techniques on how to communicate. This is what you build a mechanic upon, not the communication itself. It's the action. It's the technique that you build the game upon. I hope I made myself clear. I, I don't know. If you I'm, did. If I made Actually, people confused. I, I was listening. <laughs> I was following along, and I I am with you, and I think that's great too. I mean, I would say the same thing too, right? It just it absolutely has to start with your learning objectives, and then, like you said, it has. We have to put it on top of, you know, is it a is it a process? Is it a procedure? Or is it a principles? And those kinds of things and not actually on, I don't know, right? Like you said, communication or whatever that that learning is that they have to do. Okay. And so I can hear other people say, well, where do I start? Do I need to have gamification in my list of design skills as a newbie? Or when should I start getting into gamification or considering it? Do I ever have to? That's the kinds of things I imagine that new people would ask. I know. New people would ask and veterans would ask as well. But the point is, gamification, although it has been going on for a long time now, that long time has been no more than like 20 years. It's still virgin. still virgin science. And virgin Science in the sense of how to apply it in education. By the way, game, games have been applied since Vikings and, and Romans. I mean, it's games of games and simulations. Roman Empire was all built on like simulating the battlefield in order for them to to to, to, to forecast how the army and and the the infantry would move on the battlefield. So simulations have been since God knows when. But adding gamification without being an instructional designer that knows how to do proper, fueled, well-wielded learning experiences, you're putting up, you're putting yourself up for a huge limbo because you need to first be sure of your learning experiences. And if it really reaches the objectives that you've put into place, or at least like not all the objectives, at least like 50% off, and then think about gamification. Is it needed? Honestly, Robin, I get a lot of clients that be like, we want a game. <laughs> okay. Why? I, I, by the way, I give, I give away a lot of clients. Like sometimes I, I, I shoo clients away uh, unexpectedly <laughs> because a client would be like, I want a game. I'm like, why? I, I'll tell you about an experience. One client told me I want a board game. Cool. Why? We want people to be able to learn about resilience and digital transformation and get integrated into technology. And I don't know, they had a huge list. I was like, okay, so do you, and you want them to learn about tech. What kind of tech are you using? No, we want them to learn about tech. They're not going to use any of them. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So you want them to learn about what tech AI and machine learning and AR and VR and any, 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 any flashy uh, acronym of some sort. They, they just put it up. I'm like, okay. Okay. And when people do this, you want them to be aware. Good. Why? Because they need to be aware. Good. Why? What's the objective? How will I be able to tell them this is good for what? for their business, for their job, for their work, if, where they use this like on day-to-day tasks, no. So that was the first part. The second part, I got to know that it would be people from marketing, HR, finance, and from different segments. I was like, hold on, how many people are we talking about here? We're talking about 150 people. 150 people on one board game? Mm-hmm. Why? And you expect 150 people. Oh, I didn't say that to you as well. 150 people online on a virtual board game will be motivated to continue on a game and also learn. See, these are the questions that an instructional designer needs to ask. They need to ask questions that are related to analysis, to training needs analysis, to audience analysis, to empathy mapping, to action mapping, 
to understanding the true nature of the experience that they're about to go through. But any newbie will be like, oh, the client, and I don't mean any disrespect to newbies, we're all learners, but a client asks for a game. I need to think about that. No, we need to say no, because instructional design, Robert, and we've talked about this before, we live, breathe by our reputation. If you did a good experience with one client, that would refer you to another and another and another. You might do a huge deal with a big sum of money and it plunders, it, it fails. And they wouldn't call you again and they wouldn't refer you to anyone else. You could be doing a game and it would be a failure of a game and it would blow up in your face with the learners or they would get frustrated or they would leave. The word is that you created a game. The actual thing is that you created a big failure. And by the way, it happened to me before. I created a game that it, that it wasn't that good. So it's not something that you have to aspire towards, but it's something that you need to learn much about. Be a good instructional designer first, know more about learning experiences, then consider games and gamification. Games and gamification, most of the programs and the courses out there, they don't really filter whether you're a designer or not before they get in. And I believe this is a big issue. Because they could tell you, oh, you should put mechanics and do this and do that. But the core, the, the foundation of being a designer is not there. Or let's just not say it out there. It's, it's a bit shaky. Now, when do you think, I'm okay, I'm going to do games? When you understand formal knowledge of motivational strategies. Gamification at the end of the day is pure behavioral economics. I would say, read the book, Nudge Me. Uh, sorry, the book Nudge by um, by Daniel Kenman, laureate, Nobel laureate winner, Daniel Kenman. And also Thinking Fast and Slow. Read the paper by Ryan and DC, the self-determination theory. Read about the book Drive from Daniel H. Pink. Go and get uh, the, the, the book by uh, Carl Kopp on gamification for learning and development. Start to understand more about how you can apply what you already know into a good use of motivational psychology and how you can make people be motivated even more to finish your learning experience. If you're game with that and you feel confident about that, then please go and wow us all with games. But I'm going to tell you something. Building games takes a lot of time. You will be prototyping. You will be testing on other people. It. It's not something that you can do out of like the first bat. It would take time, but the the road is gorgeous. You would love it, but you would hate it if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, I think I think those are all really sound words of advice. Just like you said, I mean, you if it, the instructional content has to be sound, right? Because, like you said, it is. It's about what do you call it? Like behavioral, behavioral economics. Economics. That's what I was like. It's not monetization. Okay. Behavioral economics. Right. And so I think it's really great what you said, Mo, like you have to have sound instructional strategy design and content in order to even like use the benefits of adjusting certain behaviors to get your learners to the outcomes. And you can do that with several other strategies that don't involve games and, and games really do. They just take so much time. Even if you just want to add the evil axis of points, badges, and leaderboards, even those three things alone take a lot of time even just to add to, to e-learning. It takes a lot of math. Sometimes it takes a lot of math. Like the board that I showed you, the one with the, with, with the tiles, that took, that took a lot of math for us to be able to like list down the probabilities. And another thing that people would tried to look at, which is game theory, which is has nothing to do with games, but it's Nash's Equilibrium from the movie Beautiful Mind. Remember that one, yeah. Nash? Yeah, Nash's Equilibrium would show you a lot about the, 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 the world of probabilities and what you should do if I did this, what would happen if I did that. You need to empathize so much with the kind of audience that you're you're dealing with. I know what I'm saying might sound a bit like, oh, so... This is a lot of work. It's actually fun because, you know, I could do 
I could do gamification and I can use it, use blended learning, micro learning, synchronous learning, asynchronous, uh, asynchronous and, and, uh, and synchronous. I could do so much based on my knowledge of instructional design. So once you have your belt, your tool belt of, of, of instructional design, you can do gamification easy because you're just fitting the system and fashioning it up together. Okay. So, it, all right. So people are like, all right, I'll kind of stay away from gamification, but what are some of the takeaways that we can take from like what we understand about gamification and motivation and self-determination theory and all these kind of things? What can we actually take away from it to apply to our practice right now? What do you see some of those things as being well, like mastery? I think like that could like giving people a sense of mastery, right? Like that would, that could be something that you could integrate into your instructional strategy right now, right? Where like, if you okay. start with a simpler type of scenario and then you work them up to a more complex ones, then they will feel a sense of mastery. And so there are certain things that you can take away from yes. gamification, right? Okay, gamification, if I'm going to be using the MDA again. So one of the mechanics that you could use is storytelling. Storytelling. Mm-hmm creating the whole e-learning into an actual story that people need to go through, that would be brilliant. And by the way, game, games don't really have to be levels and points and badges. It can actually be a very compelling story. And I was talking about this in, in a podcast on TLDC that I see infographics as a form of comics. Deal with infographics as if it's comics. Comics? There's a Z mapping where you go into certain panels to read things. You're applying very vibrant visuals. You're not putting that much data on it. Comics are a form of game aesthetic. You could use that in your job aids. You could use that in your in your infographics. You could use that in your e-learning. Don't think about a game that it has to be like characters and abilities and and, and, and functions and a lot of rules. And no, it doesn't have to be that deep. It can be a good branching scenario. It can be a good interaction between two characters in an e-learning with proper triggers that you can use where people that can choose being the good guy or being the bad guy. So you're making a branch of being the good guy or making a branch of being the bad guy. And how would that unfold? Both of them would be a learning. And you know what, Robin? I would finish that e-learning and start it again to try to be the antagonist this time because I was the protagonist. That could be still a game and people would love it. They would eat up on it because it's fun, okay? And I can learn from it and it has a proper purpose. If you added a timer to certain things, okay, cool, good, that, that will be good in an e-learning, adding a timer. But you need to be using that timer to simulate something, to be trying to mimic an actual thing that the learner will go through. Always think that when you're putting people in a gamified experience, you're trying to mimic an actual environment that they are in, real-life environment, but putting it in a way that has no difficulties, that has no losses, that has no huge risk because when I lose a game, I lost the game, but I did not lose my life, my money, my, my people. I lost the game and I can do it again. If you can mimic that kind of experience to a timer through uh, you're collecting things, you're putting up a trigger on e- on, on, on your e-learning and your storyline where they can collect things and it can carry on from one slide to the other. You're giving them more autonomy of choice. That's also in the MDA. And games, at the end of the day, is just a vehicle for people to be more indulged in what they're doing. If what you're doing is already indulging, it's already good, don't do a game. But if you want people to be more indulged because the knowledge is tough, it, it needs people to go step by step into something. It needs people to go through a process and that process is very meticulous that they need to fail at each and every level of it or each and every part of that process 
to gain a proper understanding. And once they do that, you give them a sense of achievement, like a badge maybe, or or like a person that comes up and, and gives like a hooray, like a character that shows like hooray, and you put like a sound effect or so. Those are all game elements. Those are all forms. If you want to add gamification, you can use some of the elements in it, but don't call it gamification. Call it that you're using game elements. If you want to put a full system, that's something else. But you can use storytelling like being uh, the protagonist in a story, a challenge where they're, they're collecting something. You can use branching scenarios. You can use different forms of media to let people get like a diverse experience of what you're saying. You can turn your whole thing into something that is fantasia, that could, that could be possible, or an investigation where they need to do certain things to get to the end. At the end of the day, games... Uh, we have experienced it day by day. We've experienced it in stories, in Cinderella, Spider-Man, and Lion King. We've experienced it in comics. We experienced it in Go Fish. We experience it every day. Just start to get out of those experiences something that can relate to the learning and relate to the audience that you're talking about or talking to, I'm sorry. I love it. And even just the example that you gave, Mo, of like to going the good guy route versus the bad guy route. That's another example of like, it sounds like fun. And because you've positioned it as like good guy, bad guy, it kind of intrigues people. But really, we also know from learning strategies that people need anti-examples just as much as they need examples of what they actually should do. And so it's just another example of like what you said, where like these elements can be used to do some good instructional strategies that we already know work. Okay. And so is there anything else that you want to share about gamification before I ask my final question? Okay. Anything else? Well, don't try to say the word gamification for everything. If we're using an instructional design approach to manage a classroom, if you're doing an ILT or a VILT for a client, that's pedagogy. That's a game, game, game-based game pedagogy. You're managing a classroom in a game way from, a, from the instructor's point of view. If you're letting people play a game for maybe a couple of hours, four or five hours even, in the middle of a program, and that game teaches them how to practice something or how to do something, that's called game-based learning. And the focus is that you're trying to facilitate the learning objective by letting them experience and practice a specific thing and acquire a specific knowledge that the game offers. That's game-based learning. Game for learning, I can get a game like Catan, Tosuro, Corridor, Goldblocks, any of those games, and use it for people to play. And afterwards, you'll be like reflecting that this is strategy, this is planning, what we've experienced, what the reflection, this is game for learning. If you're doing a simulation of a business process or a complete environment where people can go through it like business acumen without actually losing, without failing, this is more of a business simulation. Gamification is a complete system that you need to build from start to end. You could do that. You could do that by going to books like Emotify, Carl Cops book on, on gamification. You can check Kevin Warbach. You can check Kevin Thorne and their work. You can check books by Yukai Chow, Actionable Behavior. These are the books that would tell you truly the science of motivation and mechanics, how both come into play. If you go to those, this is where you can get good understanding of gamification. If you want to use the other ones, that is good as well. In both cases, focus on the learning experience rather than focusing on the tool and the very lavish, luxurious approach. I love it. Instead of the lavish, luxurious approach. Okay, Mo, so my favorite question to ask at the end of our time together is what is your best and final advice for those new instructional designers? Said it. Give me another one. It doesn't have to be about games. Do learning design. No, no, no. Do learning design that would be so fun that anyone can engage with and it would be so easy 
in explaining it, not explaining the content, explaining the process, that a 10-year-old would be able to get it. This is the hardest thing ever. Like, till this day, my father doesn't even understand what I do for a living. Okay, I'm telling you, I'm an instructional designer and I, I build games for a living. We're like, you're getting good money. I'm like, yes, yes, I do. I do. You're able to support. Yeah. Okay. Then what you're doing is, but try to explain it to me so I can explain it to my friends. So it's just to tell them what my, my son works, what he does or what he works for. So when you're looking at your learning experiences, look at something that you can design in a seamless fashion where a 10-year-old would be able to get the process. Because what you're doing here is that you're letting people get into your learning in a very smooth and swift way. And what they should be focusing on is the learning instead of trying to get to understand your rough and tough approach. Because sometimes we get into our own heads and we try to make something so good but it becomes so hard in unfolding to the learner. And sometimes it becomes so fun to us, but it's not fun to the people. So always empathize with the learner to make it fun. Fun is not that it would be all shares and games. Fun means that they're enjoying what they're reading. They're enjoying the visuals. They're enjoying the simplicity of the words. They're enjoying the user experience. Fun means that it has a meaning. Fun doesn't mean that it has to be a comedy stand-up. It, it means that it, it's meaningful. That's fun. When I get something, when I realize that I understood something, that's actually fun. I get a lot of dopamine. I get a lot of oxytocin. It's, it's, it's from a biological perspective or like from a neuroscience perspective, this is fun. So this is the kind of fun that you should be focusing on. All right, we'll drop the mic. That's it. I mean, that that is such Ooh. good advice, right? Like even if, you know, we could just help new instructional designers remember to try and like their at least their first iteration or whatever, think about the 10-year-old, right? Just simplify, make it easy, make it fun and clear and meaningful. And that's going to be a really good start for a lot of, newbies yeah mo thank you so so much for coming on this podcast i thank you for your time your knowledge your expertise and of course um that you're on my our team in idle courses so thank you thank you thank you thank you so much for listening you can find the show notes for this episode at idlecourses.com if you like this podcast and you want to become an instructional designer an online learning developer Join me in the Idle Courses Academy where you'll learn to build all the assets you need to land your first instructional design job, early access to this podcast, tutorials for how to use the e-learning authoring tools, templates for everything course building, and paid instructional design experience opportunities. Go to idlecourses.com forward slash academy and enroll or get on the wait list. Now get out there and build transcendent courses.